So, I'm eight and a half years old, and I'm in a country store on a small island off the coast of Long Island called Fire Island for the summer. And I'm with my family in a small beach community called Point of Woods. And it is as idyllic and as elitist as it probably sounds. <laughs> Every white Anglo-Saxon Protestant of the entire Northeastern Corridor descends for generations at a time to bond and to escape and to play bingo and have dinner at the club and pray at the little church and go to the country score to escape, basically. And I'm there to escape that day in the country score. My family, I, even at eight and a half, they make me nervous and I don't quite fit in. And I'm taking comfort from this wide display of ice cream, probably one of the largest displays of homemade ice cream that I've ever seen. And I'm really kind of pissed because I don't have enough money to buy any, but I'm enjoying the colors anyway. And I see a woman there, and she's got all her stuff, and she's at the cash register buying her ice cream, of course, and everything else, tennis ball, sunscreen, you know, stuff. And the cashier asks, how would you like to pay? Do you want to pay with cash or credit? And she says this very strange thing. She says, oh, you can just charge that to my house. I'm at the Smith house, Ivy Lane, number 48. And she walks out of the store. And I was like, she just got everything she wanted without paying any money at all. She just needs an address. So I was like, I have an address. So I went up to the cashier and I ordered an ice cream sundae with marshmallow sauce and hot fudge. And when she asked me how I wanted to pay cash or credit, I said, oh, you can just charge that to my house. Now, here's where I lied. I, I, didn't, I didn't give her the exact number for two reasons. I, a, I didn't remember the house number. Where I knew it was the Gilbert house, but I didn't know the number. And I also didn't really want to be associated with my family. I, had a, I, didn't, I liked the anonymity. I liked the idea of just giving a house number. And, and I was always kind of ready for adoption, so I thought I could just go to that house. And so I just gave a number, and I sailed out of the store with my ice cream. And I was absolutely beside myself with excitement. I mean, it was that moment of creation, you know? You see it, and you execute it flawlessly, and you have success. And it's just visceral, it's in your entire body. And I was so proud of myself that I did it again. And I went several times a week for the remainder of the summer and got my ice cream cone and gave the bill to some house. <laughs> And needless to say, when you get caught at the end of the summer and you've been, you know, eating sugar all summer long, my parents weren't happy. And under any of the best of circumstances, my parents were a little anxious and uptight. They had five kids, so there's a lot going on. But when things went wrong, they got really anxious and uptight. And it didn't always go well because they relied on shame and disappointment to get their point across. And my father really honed in that day by grabbing the bottom of my chin, and he shook me, and he said, Wendy, don't you ever, ever, ever do that again, or you're no daughter of mine. Well, of course I never did it again, 
because I wanted him, I wanted to be his daughter. And uh, I just didn't know how to do it again and feel the success I originally felt after that moment. Because forever on, I associated that wonderful thrill of excitement and spontaneity and thinking out of the box with shame and disappointment and fear that my parents were really not going to be happy with me. So I didn't do those things. I basically started to hide and feel uncomfortable even more in my family. And I don't know why, but whenever you have an upbringing like that, there's only one way to go, and that's to become a performer. <laughs> just, there's only so much of that energy you can take before you need to let it out. So slowly and slowly and slowly, I headed in that creative direction, that imaginative direction, because it brought me back to the ice cream store. The idea of being with people and that spontaneity and that fun and the adrenaline was just like getting some ice cream, and I just loved it. Meanwhile, I would butt heads with my dad. He was a very successful litigator. Everything was about order and control. And a clown is about complete chaos and fun. So we often butted heads. Now, needless to say, I was loving to pieces and uh, for lots of reasons. But we, we had a difficult time. And there were two people who kind of helped thread us together in a way that I'm forever grateful. And that was Jinjin and George, my mom's older sister, actually, and her husband bonded us all with those wonderful qualities of unconditional love, happiness that you're in the tribe, love feeling connected and just part of things. They really just wanted you to know you were accepted. And whenever I'd have a difficult time with my dad, I would always be able to have a parallel time with Jinjin. My dad would say something about when I was in my 20s, for example, I'd become an actor and I was very excited about possibility. And I'd say, oh, this person thinks I'm really talented. And he said, yeah, but you're paying her. And I would feel that disappointment and shame. And Jinjin would say, well, isn't it wonderful that we have champions in our life who really believe in us? So I would juggle these two people. My Uncle George would say, sometimes at a party, he would say, I've heard about your wonderful success, and I want you to know I am not surprised at all, but I'm just delighted. Or if things weren't going very well, or if I had to justify something because I didn't have money and I couldn't go to a family event, or some sort of trouble, he would come up to me quietly and say, it's going to be all right, Wendy. It's going to be all right. And it generally was. We kind of muddled on through life and were a family to the best as we could do. Except there was always that frustration and we needed Ginger and George to kind of help thread. Just in the way that she loved to make sweaters. She made this sweater and she made dozens of others and in fact one year she made sweaters from January 2nd to December 22nd for 12 people. And everybody opened a gift. At the end of the day, she said, well, isn't that what family's about, to see that smile on your face? So you can imagine the moment in time when we found out that she had lung cancer. Twelve years ago, the light started to go out. We knew she wasn't going to be around in a few months. And all of the conflict around money and success and what are you doing with your life really came to a head. It came to a head for me internally 
And it also came to her head with my family. Nobody really knew what to say to each other. And I came to a real crisis. I didn't have any sense of the girl in the store looking for ice cream and in just enjoying that spontaneity of life. I really doubted myself terribly. And I didn't really know where to go. And in fact, my father didn't know what to say. He had no real words of comfort. We were sitting at her wake, and he picked up a glass of beer, and he just said, oh, I'm such an alcoholic. I have to have a drink. And it occurred to me, no matter how much money you have in the bank, no matter how much success you have, you just don't know what's happening on the inside until you're face to face. So she passed on, and a year and a half later, George did as well. And I was really lost, like I was really done. I was no longer happy to perform. I didn't really connect with people in my family except to fight with them about what was going on. And I didn't know which way to go except maybe to follow Ginger and George. Fortunately, they left something, besides all the love and enthusiasm they had, they left something that I often didn't think about very much and needed very much at that time. They left me a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> they left an enormous gift. And it was a big surprise, because I don't really think about money. So when they said, well, there is the inheritance, I said, what inheritance? What? And it was a life-changing moment. It was really a Dickensian moment of like, wow, really? I get to have some of my life back? I get to rethink things? I get to, I get to think out of the box again. And I did just that. And my life changed completely with a three-year excavation of myself. I took that money and I played. And I played for my spirit to resurrect my spirit, and to find out where that ice cream truck was now. <laughs> and I also did something else with that money. I said goodbye to a very strong, particular point of view, my dad's. In fact, the last conversation we had about money was on my 39th birthday. I had already known that I was going to take a break, and I was going to use that money to have some fun and resurrect myself and heal, and he would have none of it. And he didn't exactly shake me under the chin, but if he could have, he would. And he did say, you are no daughter of mine if you take that money and you don't respect their lifelong legacy of hard work. And he showed me the door. And I went down to Columbus Circle, and I sobbed. And then I took a deep breath, and I said goodbye. Not to him permanently, we still talk. But I said goodbye to looking that way in direction. And I took myself on another adventure, and I'm so glad that I did. <laughs>